Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. How's everybody doing today? Happy Easter. He is risen. Man, amen. That's such good news. That's how you know you're really a Southern Baptist. You hit somebody with the he is risen, you hit them right back with the he is risen indeed. So well done, church. Proud of you. Happy Easter. It's a great day. So excited to be here. As, uh, as Johnny mentioned earlier when he was making fun of me, uh, my name is Travis. I am the pastor here, and it is great to be worshiping with you, uh, especially on a special day like today. If it is your first time, uh, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We're so excited, so thrilled that you would come and join us. We're, we're deeply honored by that. I know you could pick anywhere to go, and you, you chose to come here, so we really appreciate that. And I would love a chance just to just to reach out and say thank you and let you know how much we appreciate your visit. So if you could just let me know that you're here, you could do that in one of two ways. Uh, one, you can just pull out your phone right here, text the word welcome to the number that you see right there on the screens. That's all you got to do, just text welcome to that number. Or uh, we have cards, there's cards on our back table, there's also our welcome cards uh, outside on the table next to the coffee and donuts out there. Uh, so just fill one of those cards out, just leave it on the table. And like I said, this just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that huge favor, I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, and then please stop by our table before you head home. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today before you head home. Uh, well, typically, uh, if you find us on a, a, a normal Sunday morning, we, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. We've been, been taking little chunks at a time, but, but today we're going we're gonna to pause that series. We're going to take a break from Acts. Uh, don't worry, we'll be back in it next week. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 4. So uh, for the visitors in here, we, we'd love to have you back for a second visit as we dig back into Acts next week. But today, uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, the greatest moment in history, and that's, that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was just uh, thinking about how, how important this date was in history, and it just kind of took my mind to, to other significant moments throughout history. And you, you can make a, a list of 200, 1,000 moments throughout world history that, that are significant, that matter, right? Some of the, the ones that stood out to me, just maybe some in, in more recent history, you know, July 4th, 1776, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That's a, that's a pretty big moment, especially in our nation's history, right? Another one is April 9th, 1865, the end of the Civil War. Or uh, August 20th, August 26th, 1920 is the passage of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. That's a pretty big moment in our history. Uh, August 28th, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. leads the, uh, the, the march on Washington, gives his famous I Have a Dream speech, which paved the way for the Civil Rights Acts of the 1960s. Such a big, important moment. Another one that, that I'm sure you're all aware of, and you'll know exactly what, I, what I'm talking about when I say this today, July 2nd, 1986. Any, anybody? That's my birthday. That's a big deal. That's a big deal for me. It's a big deal. Uh, some, uh, 1990, the year 1990, Tim Berners-Lee creates the World Wide Web, which leads to the internet as we have it today. That's a, that's a significant moment. Another big one, another huge one. March 18th, 1995, Michael Jordan returns after his first retirement to come back to the NBA. Such a powerful moment. June 29th, 2007, the first iPhone is released. That's a big deal. All the iPhone users in here said amen. Uh, I'm sure some of the Georgia fans in here will remember this day. It was just a few months ago. January 10th, 2022, UGA finally defeated Alabama, wins their, their second national championship. Yes, yeah, congrats to, to all the Georgia fans. And then perhaps one of the most Significant moments in history, I believe, happened just recently. April 2nd, 2022, the mighty UNC Tar Heels 
defeated the evil Duke Blue Devils and ended Coach K's career in the Final Four. Such a glorious moment. Love that. Love that. Now, look, some of, some of these dates are, are a big deal, right? Some of them I'm, I'm a little joking about. Uh, but some of them are, are really important. But they all pale in comparison to the significance of what happened on this Sunday a little more than 2,000 years ago when Jesus stepped out of the grave and defeated sin and death. Our God is not dead. He is alive. Amen, church. Amen. Such a, such a powerful moment. And we read about this, this moment all throughout our Bibles, all throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, these historical accounts of Jesus' life. And one of those places that we, that we see this is Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can, you can follow along on the screens behind me. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles on that back table back there. We, we would love for you to take that home as our gift to you. But Luke chapter 24. And before we get there, let me just kind of give some context, make sure we're all on the same page as to what's been happening before we get to this moment where Jesus rises from the dead just, just a week before that. So uh, the Sunday before, we call that Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem to, to a chorus of praise and worship, people praising him as the king, as the savior, but that doesn't last long. It doesn't last long. Jesus had a lot of enemies, and by Wednesday of Jesus' final week before he dies on the cross, by Wednesday, one of his closest friends, Judas, is meeting with the Jewish religious leaders to, to work out a scheme and a plan to betray Jesus, to get him arrested. On Thursday, Jesus shares his final Passover meal with his disciples. That, that night, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with his followers, and it's in that moment where Judas arrives with the temple guards and betrays Jesus with a kiss. Jesus then stands trial, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's brought before Pilate, the Roman governor, and, and he doesn't want to cause any waves, he doesn't want to cause any issues, so he relents to the Jewish crowd and their cries to crucify Jesus, and he sentenced Jesus to die by crucifixion. On Friday, he's put on the cross and dies. He's buried, and a stone is rolled in front of his tomb, but church the beauty of the gospel is that that's not the end of the story. It's not the end. Let's read what happens next. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says this. But on the first day of the week, that, that's Sunday, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Let me read that again. These two angels said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And in returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These are the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus. So they told it all to him. Now, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran 
to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And this is what, this story is what brings us here every Sunday, but especially on Easter. It's celebrating this moment in history where Jesus comes out of the grave. As the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Church, we don't, we don't serve a, a dead religious leader or teacher. No, we serve a risen Savior. Our God is not dead. Our God is alive. Amen? So I want to spend some time talking about why this is so significant. Why, why does what happened 2,000 years ago in a tomb, why does that matter to me? Why does that matter to me and here in my life in the year 2022? Before we get to why this moment is so significant for us, I want to first answer another question. And maybe for some of you, it's a far more important question. And that's, is this true? Is what I just read true? Did this really happen? Or is this just, as the disciples believed at first, is this just an idle tale? That word means nonsense, by the way. It just like just utter nonsense is what they they first thought when they heard that Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. They're like, "Oh, that's nonsense. There's no way that happened." So, is it that? Is it an idle tale? Is it just a myth, just a legend, or or is it true? Because if it's true, if what happened in our scriptures that we just read, if that really happened, if that's true, well, church, that that changes everything. That changes everything. So I believe this is true. I fully believe it, no doubt in my mind. I fully believe that this is true. And I believe as Christians, believers in the room, I believe that we can have full confidence in the truth of what I just read, in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. I don't like the term blind faith. Too often people refer to Christians as having blind faith. No, we don't have blind faith. We have, we have good reason to believe the things that we believe. So I just want to spend real quick before we get into some other stuff, three reasons why I believe the resurrection is true. Three reasons real quick. First is eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts. The Bible is, is written from the point of view of people who saw this thing with their very eyes. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3, he writes this. As the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning some have passed away, but, but most are still alive. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, he appeared also to the apostle Paul. So what Paul is telling us here, what he's saying is, hey, guess what, guys? The death and resurrection of Jesus, big deal, of first importance. That's a big deal. It really matters. And hey, if you're struggling to believe that, if you doubt that, here's a list of names. Here's all these people who saw the risen Christ with their very eyes. Not just me. I'm not just making it up. Like, go talk to Peter. Go talk to some of these 500 people. That's what he's saying. Like, If you don't believe this, here's some names. Go ask them. They saw it. They saw it with their eyes. It's based on eyewitness accounts. Now you might be saying, well, of course he's writing that. You know, you know, of course he's saying that. He just wants other people to believe and things like that. Well, here's the deal about Scripture. And this stuff isn't, isn't argued by even atheists out there. 
certain passages of scripture, certain books that are, that are in our Bible were written so close to the timing of Jesus' death and resurrection that there wouldn't have been time for a myth or a legend to develop. The Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark in your Bibles, was written about 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, 10 to 15 years. I mean, just think 10, 10 years ago. Well, we remember what was going on 10 years ago, right? Like, we don't need to be reminded of the significant moments of what happened 10 years ago in our lives, right? First uh, Corinthians, uh, what we just read, Paul is writing to the first Corinth, this, this Corinthian church, he's writing to them about 20, 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. That's not enough time for this to become legend. As he says here, look, there's people who are still alive who saw it. Go ask them. See, this was just made up stuff. There would have been plenty of people alive to refute it and go, guys, no, raised from the dead? No, here's his grave and his body's in there. Like, what are y'all talking about? I mean, just think, uh, you know, if I were to say, you know, 10 years ago, it's 2012, our president was Barack Obama. If I, if I came in here and was like, hey, guys, remember 2012? Yeah, Barack wasn't our president. It was somebody else. You'd be like, Travis, are, are you okay? Like, you need to go see somebody. What's wrong with you? We all, we all remember that. We were all here. Uh, 20 years ago, our, who was our president? George W. Bush, right? W was in office. If I were to come in here and be like, he wasn't really the president. Never was our president. You'd be like, Travis, pull out your phone, Google it. We all know what really happened. Like, that's not long enough for me to be saying stuff and you to go, oh, you know, I don't really, I don't really know. That's too far away. That's hundreds of years ago. I don't really know what happened. No, this stuff was happening soon after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not long enough to become a myth. So our Bible accounts are, are based on eyewitness accounts. Uh, the second thing uh, why I believe the resurrection is true is because the body's actually gone. Body's actually gone. Again, this is another fact that is not even disputed among reputable atheist historians. They don't dispute that because guess what? We can't find the body. We don't know where the body is. Because if we could find the body, you know that the body would have presented at some point, right? Like this, this movement of Christianity that has spanned the globe for centuries and centuries, if it was just based on a case of mistaken identity or somebody just, you know, forgot where Jesus was buried or whatever, like we would have found the body by now. But guess what, y'all? The body's not there. It's not there. Tomb's empty. We know that as a fact. It's undeniable. The body is not there. Third reason that I believe in the, uh, the truth of the resurrection is the other theories just don't match up. Like if you think about the other theories that are, that are popular among atheists and why we don't believe it, why we don't believe the resurrection, why it never happened, like they just don't seem to hold up. One of the most popular ones is what's called the swoon theory. If you ever heard of that, the swoon theory. Uh, it's, it's said that what that means is that they, it's argued that Jesus didn't really die. Jesus didn't really die. He was just, you know, he, he, just, he just looked dead. He was, he was, just, he was mostly dead mostly dead, but wasn't quite dead yet. So when, when, he, when he looked dead on the cross, they took him down, they wrapped him up in those linens, and they put him in a tomb. They rolled this huge stone in front of it, and they put two Roman guards outside of it, but Jesus wasn't really dead. So what they say is, even though Jesus was, was put to death, supposedly, he, he was able to, to you know, waken himself up, take the linens off, push the stone away, and walk out about his life. That's what's argued. That's what's argued. Well, here's the problem with that. One is he was put to death by the Roman Empire. And by this point in history, the Romans were expert executioners, especially when it came to crucifixion. They didn't, they didn't create it, but they perfected it. Now, these, these guys in charge of his execution, it was their job to make sure whoever was told to put, this person's been sentenced to die, it was these soldiers' job to make sure that actually happened. And they're not about to not do their job, Right? The Jewish leaders really wanted Jesus dead. You think they would have been okay if they were like, 
I'm pretty sure he's dead, guys. I think, I think we got it. No, they would have made sure. They really wanted Jesus dead. They weren't going to be satisfied with just like, I kind of think maybe, you know, kind of stopped taking a breath a few minutes ago. I'm sure he's dead. It'll be fine. But just keep in mind what, what Jesus happened. Like the things that Jesus went through before he even got to the cross puts most people to death already. Like people die in the process before the cross, before they actually get there. So just think about that. Jesus had, had a sleepless night. He was beaten several times, severely beaten, whipped, put on a cross, nails hammered through his wrists, through his ankles, and left there to die for hours. And they, oh, by the way, he was stabbed in the side with a spear. But that guy, that guy who was wrapped in all these cloths is supposed to just wake up all of a sudden and then, then take all the cloths off and then push this huge stone away. Oh, and then by the way, get past the Roman guards. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I got it. Okay. So the swoon theory, I don't, I don't buy that. Another one, the wrong tomb theory. Wrong tomb. The, the, the Jesus was buried somewhere, but when, when Mary and the other ladies and the disciples and Peter came running, they just, they just all went to the wrong tomb. Just the wrong tomb, they're just mistaken by that. Well, here's the problem with that. One, he was buried in the tomb of a famous, rich Jewish person, Jew, Joseph of Arimathea. It would have been very easy to know exactly where that guy's tomb was. It also, again, reminder that the Jewish leaders wanted him dead. You think that they would have been, you know, here's Peter running around town after uh, Jesus is, is risen from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He's running around town telling everybody that Jesus is raised from the dead. You think these Jewish leaders would have just been like, hey, bro, the, the tomb's over there. You thought it was here. It's over here. See the stone? I'll, we'll, we'll move the stone. I'll show you the body. Here's the body, Peter. Come on now. What are you doing? Like, it would have been easy to refute that. So I'm not buying that one. Hallucination theory. This is another popular one. So as Paul said, there's 500 people that, that he appeared to at one time. Well, it's, it's often said that, well, no, those people just hallucinated the same thing. They just, they thought they saw Jesus, but they didn't really see Jesus. They just thought they did. Okay, sure. If somebody, if 500 people can have the same hallucination at the same exact time and never waver from that, maybe. Again, I'm not buying that. The other one, very common one, is the disciples just lied. They just made it up. They, they somehow overpowered the Roman guards. They somehow moved the stone away. Then they stole the body and either hid it really, really well, or, or they just destroyed it to the point where you just would have never been able to find his remains. Well, here's the problem with that. The problem is what, what happened after Jesus has died. The, the disciples' lives were changed radically. I mean, when Jesus was arrested, his disciples ran and hid. They, they were gone. They were so scared. Peter is watching his trial from afar, and you've got three people that come on like, hey, didn't you follow Jesus? And he's like, no, no, of course not. He's scared of this little girl who comes up. I'm like, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. And no, he cusses her out and says no. Like, that's how scared Peter was. And now you fast forward a few weeks later, he's telling these very same men that Jesus, hey, you killed him, and he rose from the dead. That doesn't make sense that he would just lie and be able to do that. And not only that, the followers of Jesus all gave their lives for him. Peter was crucified upside down. Many were beheaded and killed in other ways. The apostle John was boiled alive. That didn't kill him. So then they put him on an island to die by himself. Do you think at any point, I'm just telling y'all, look, if I was, if I was like just trying to make up a story and, and just trying to really convince you, and then you threatened to boil me alive, I'd be like, no, nah, I was just kidding. Just kidding. That was just a joke, y'all. I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be all like this. I didn't know you're going to be that mad. Like, I, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But none of them cracked, right? None of them changed their story. And more and more followers after that continue to give their lives for Jesus. That doesn't make sense if this is all based on a lie. 
right, so let's just assume for a moment. Let's just, if you, can, if you can bear with me for the rest of our time, let's just assume for a moment that this really is true, that this really did happen, that Jesus really did die on a cross, and he really did on the third day, he really did rise from the dead. What does that mean for me? How does that change my life? What does that, that mean for me? Why is this significant for me? Well, one thing is, if the resurrection is true, it means that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is who he said he was. That everything we read here in scripture is true. We can trust the stories about Jesus. We can trust what we see in our Bibles. That, that Jesus really is God. That there really is a God who created you. Who has a purpose for your life. Who, who loves you more than you could ever possibly know. Uh, there, there really is a God who wants to spend eternity with you. That he, that he died on a cross to save you. That's really true. Jesus really did die on a cross and rise from the dead. That's true. What we see here in scripture is true. That Jesus is who he said he was. And who did he say he was? Did he, did he say that he was just a good teacher? Did he, did he say that he was just somebody to, to emulate and follow? No, he said much more than that. He said that he's really God, that he's God, and that he came to give his life for ours. And look, he proves his identity over and over and over again. Scholars say that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies about who he was. That's impossible. One person couldn't possibly do that unless it's true. Unless it's true. We had to go on an airplane recently. We had to. We got to. We got to go fly out. And all they, all they needed to prove my identity was just my little ID card. That's all they needed. That's all they needed. Just one little thing. Jesus did that 300 times. He shows us over and over and over again who he really is. And the resurrection puts the final stamp on all of that. If the resurrection is true, all of this is true. All of it's true, and we can trust it. Second thing that, that it means is if the resurrection is true, if the Bible is true, if what we see in Scripture is true, what that means is I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. We are sinners in need of a Savior. One of the things that the Bible says over and over again is that we're sinners, that we are sinners. Romans 3.23 puts it this way. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. All means all. Every single one of us, me, you, everybody, everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. And that word sinner that, that, that the Bible uses there, for all have sinned, what that means is missing the mark. It means to miss the mark. Now, now when we hear that, we, we kind of think, well, you know, I'm aiming at something, and, and maybe I'm just, just a little off to the right, right? Like maybe, I just, maybe I just missed it a little bit. We had this basketball goal in our driveway, and, and our kids are finally getting a little old. The two older ones are getting a little old enough and, like, a little strong enough, like, to finally be able to make it in the basket almost. And, it, you know, it's at its lowest point. It's, like, seven, seven and a half feet. But Livy almost made it the other day. She was so excited. She threw it up, and it bounced off the rim. It almost went in. Like, when we think of sin, sometimes we, we have that image in mind. Oh, yeah, we, I just barely missed. But the idea of missing the mark is that we're supposed to aim over here, and here we are over here. We're aiming this way. We're, we're, we're all the way over here, shooting this way, hoping it'll go over here. That's what it means to miss God's mark. And what's God's mark? It's perfection. God demands perfection. He is a holy, eternal, and perfect God. And he can only accept those into his kingdom who are perfect. But I just said that, that 
we're all sinners, right? And I think everybody in here, I won't make you raise your hands, but I think we would all admit that we're not perfect, that none of us are perfect. Well, right away, we've missed the mark. We've missed the mark. And what, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What the Bible also says about sin is that what my sin earns me, the wages of my sin, what I deserve because I've missed the mark, because I'm not perfect, what I deserve from that is wrath, punishment, death, hell forever. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. We have stored up a massive debt against God because we don't just sin against one another's. Uh, one, one another. We don't just sin against other people here. We sin against God. And we have stored up a massive debt against God. And, and y'all, what we just said is, is that we're sinners. So we can't possibly pay this debt on our own. Can't possibly, you know, uh, do enough good, right? Like if I just do enough good, then maybe my debt will be wiped clean. No, that's not, that's not God's standard. God's standard isn't just, you know, good intentions, right? Well, you know, I tried. I did the best that I could. That's not good enough. If we're standing before God and he's asking, why should I let you into my kingdom? If we're relying on, well, I I tried hard. I did some good things in my life. That's not good enough. We've stored up a debt. And look, sometimes it's easy to live our lives and not think about that debt. It's easy to just, you know, I'm just living my life. I'm doing my thing and I'll figure that out later. You know, it's almost like a credit card. You You get a credit card you know, depending on what your limit is, you can go and swipe that thing wherever you want to and get whatever you want. And you just keep swiping and keep swiping. But eventually, the debt's going to come back for you. Eventually, you're going to have to pay that debt off, right? You can't just go your whole life. I mean, some people try, but it doesn't work out well, right? It doesn't work out. Doesn't, that's not going to end pretty. If that's, it, if that's your hope, if you're like, man, I'm just, you know, praying my debt's going to be gone someday. I think, I'm just telling you, that ain't going to end well. So if you rack up this massive debt, eventually the creditors are going to come calling. And that's what we've done. We've racked up a massive debt against God. And it's not good enough to just pay the minimum payment. We can't Dave Ramsey debt snowball this thing, right? That's not how it works. We can't do that. But the good news of the gospel, what the Bible tells the good news of the gospel is, y'all, we don't have to. We don't have to pay that. We can't pay it, and God doesn't make us pay. Like, we don't have to pay it. This is the good news of the gospel, that God provides a way for us, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yo, what good news that is. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. God himself, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, went on the cross and died for us. He lived the perfect life that we never could have lived. He lived that that perfect life, and and then he died on the cross in our place. We deserved that. We deserved wrath. We deserved hell. Jesus took on all of our sin on the cross, and he died in one of the most gruesome and brutal ways. Let me just remind you of what Jesus went through. Once he was sentenced to die, the the Romans uh, put him through what what was called a scourging. And what that meant was was first he was beaten, severely beaten by the Roman executioners. Then he was stripped, his hands bound together, tied to a post, and two executioners took turns whipping him with a cat of nine tails whip. And on on that whip, it's long leather straps, little balls at the end of it, and then hooks along the side. And they would take turns whipping Jesus and whipping Jesus and whipping Jesus. And each time those those balls would soften up his skin. Those hooks would sink in and peel back his flesh. 
And then after that was done, they made him carry his cross, weighing more than 100 pounds. He's buckling under the weight. They had to to pull some guy from the crowd to help him. And they laid him on that cross. He stretched his arms out, took two thick nails and hammered them through his wrists. And crossed his legs, hammered one through his ankles. And they hung up God to die on a cross. And here's the thing about, about death on a cross. It doesn't happen quickly. See, crucifixion is death by shame, humiliation, and suffocation. So as you're hanging there, you've got to push up on, on that, that bottom nail to take a breath. And eventually what happens is your body gives out, and you can't push up anymore. You can't take that breath, and you slowly die from suffocation. That's what our God did for us. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took our place. We deserved that. Our debt deserved that, and yet Jesus took it on. He gave his life for ours, and then he defeated sin, death, and the devil, and he came out of that grave victorious. He rose from the dead. What the Bible tells us is that through faith in him, that debt that we have, it's wiped clean. It's wiped clean. It gives us a fresh start. He gives us a new life. He wipes it clean, past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus when we put our faith in him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we celebrate at Easter. So if the resurrection is true, it means that that Jesus is who he said he was, that we are sinners in need of a savior. And the last thing it means is the worst things aren't the last things. If the resurrection is true, it means the worst things in life aren't the last things. The story of the resurrection does not end in Jesus' most painful moment of agony and torture and death. That's not the end. That's not the end of the story. If the resurrection is true, the worst things aren't the last things. The darkest moments of our life are our darkest and hardest days are not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. See, if the resurrection is true, then guilt and shame, that doesn't get the last word. My story doesn't stop with guilt and shame because what Jesus tells me in Romans 8, 1 is that now, therefore, in Christ, there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none. There's nobody to accuse you, nobody to heap that guilt and shame on top of you. That doesn't come from Jesus. That comes from the devil. When we have life in Christ, our guilt and our shame doesn't get the last word. It doesn't end there. If the resurrection is true, addiction doesn't get the last word. Addiction doesn't get the last word. Is sin powerful? Yeah. Is the devil strong and powerful? Yeah, absolutely. And he's coming for all of us. But what the resurrection reminds us of is that Jesus is much stronger. Jesus is much stronger. He, addiction and sin and the devil do not get the last word. Jesus' power gets the last word. If the resurrection is true, then pain doesn't get the last word. Suffering doesn't get the last word. Hardship doesn't get the last word. The good news of the gospel doesn't, doesn't end with just new life here on this earth. No, no, it goes beyond that. Jesus tells us that when we put our faith in him, we get the promise of eternal life. And what that means is, believer in the room, eventually we get to be with Jesus in complete perfection. We get to be with him in complete perfection, spending eternity free from pain, 
free from suffering, free from, from hell, free from sin, free from evil, free from all of that stuff, free from all of it. Complete perfection with Jesus. Our pain and our suffering and our hardship doesn't get the last word. If the resurrection is true, despair doesn't get the last word. See, in these moments that we walk through in life, these moments of difficulty, these moments of suffering, and it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to be overcome with despair. But if the resurrection is true, despair doesn't get the last word. Hope in Jesus gets the last word. What I love about the story of the resurrection is when all seemed lost. I mean, try to put yourself in, in the shoes of the apostles. They spent their three years walking side by side with Jesus. And then he's, he's brutally murdered. He's put in a tomb. A stone is rolled in front of it. What the beauty of the story of Jesus, what the death and resurrection of Jesus tells us is that in these moments when God is silent, it doesn't mean that God is absent. God's silence on Good Friday and Holy Saturday does not mean God's absence on Easter Sunday. Despair does not get the last word. We always have hope in Jesus. Our God is always at work. In our darkest moments, in those darkest days, our God is right there with us. It might feel like we're Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know that he hasn't. And he's always right there with us, carrying us through those depths, carrying us through the darkness. Because the resurrection is true, the worst things aren't the last things. Jesus says this in John eleven twenty five. He says, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Through Jesus, we can have life, true life, abundant life, eternal life. We can fix our eyes on that. The pain and suffering and difficulty of this life does not get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And we can trust that. So as we end today, as we conclude our time together, I, I want to end with just one more question. I want to end with one more question for each of us to think about in here, Christians, non-Christians, wherever you find yourself with Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where are you with Jesus? Where are you with Jesus? Another way to say that, who do you say Jesus is? Where are you with Jesus? So typically on any given Sunday, any given moment, uh, I think we can meet people who fall along, you know, four different categories. Uh, one category is those of us in here who would say, man, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. I've put my faith in him. I have a committed relationship with Jesus. I put my faith and my trust in him. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't struggle. Doesn't mean I don't have hard days, but my faith is with Jesus. So for those of you that, that might say that the, we're the believers in the room, right? Like this, this is the group that, that we have put our faith in Jesus. So that's, that's one group of folks. Another group of folks that might be here is those that would say, I, I'm not a believer, but I'm ready to begin my relationship with Jesus. I'm not a Christian yet, but I'm, but I'm ready to start that. I'm ready to begin my relationship with Jesus. You're ready to go from, from not believing to believing. And right, there, there's, there's gotta be that moment for all of us who claim the name of Jesus, where we went from non-believer to believer. Just to let you know, like coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like sticking your head in an oven doesn't make you a biscuit, all right? 
Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents were believers, your grandparents were believers, just because you've spent time in a Christian home does not make you a believer. The Bible says what makes you a believer, what makes you a Christian is that you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You've seen and said, you know what, Jesus? Yes, I am a sinner, and I can't save myself, and I'm putting my faith and my trust in you to save me. That's what it means to be a believer. It means that we're not living for our sin, for ourselves anymore. No, we're living for Jesus. We're living for Jesus. So maybe some of you in here are ready to begin your relationship with Jesus, and I'll come back and lead you through how to do that in a moment. Another couple of folks that might be here, uh, one, you, you, you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're not ready to begin, you just need a little bit more time. You got a little bit more questions, you got a little bit more doubts and things to figure out. Or maybe the last category, maybe you're here and you just say, well, you know, Travis, I'm, if I'm honest with you, I don't ever intend to put my faith in Jesus. I don't ever intend to be a believer. And I just want to say if you fall in one of those last two categories, one, I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're here. Please keep coming. Please keep coming. Here's what I know about Jesus and about God and about Scripture is our God is the God of truth. And just keep seeking. Keep asking questions. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. Bring your fears to God. He can handle them. He can handle them. And now for those first two, I want to talk to you for a moment. But, but as we end our time, uh, we're, we're going to move into a time of worship and communion and prayer. So I'm going to ask everybody in here, if you wouldn't mind, just bowing your heads, closing your eyes, everybody in the room. Let me talk to those first two groups that I mentioned. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're a believer in here, you said, yes, Travis, I'm with Jesus. I've put my faith in him. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to do what we do every single Sunday here at the church at Haynes Creek. We're going to enter into a time of communion. So believers in the room, I just want to encourage you during this moment as we pray and the band comes and leads us in a couple more songs, take some time just to worship our Savior. Church, we have a God who loves you so much that he gave his life for you, that he died on a cross for you so that you could have life, so that you could have forgiveness. Take some time in prayer, in worship, and just celebrate who our God is. And if you're a believer here, and maybe you're going through a hard time, maybe you're in one of those dark moments, maybe it's life circumstances, maybe it's sin, maybe there's, there's some sin in your life, and you just need to bring that before the Lord and repent and trust in his grace and his mercy. It's new every day. So spend some time in prayer, and as your heart's prepared, as you feel led, as the band comes up and plays, you can go on either side of the room where we have the elements. You take the bread, you take the cup, and you worship our God who gave his life for you. Now, if you're here and you're in that second group, and you say, Travis, I know I'm not a believer, but I'm ready to begin my relationship with Jesus. I'm ready to put my faith in him. I just want to lead you in a time of prayer. So if you wouldn't mind just repeating these words, you can put it in your own words. And look, there's nothing special about the words I'm going to say right now. But we, we need to have this moment where we, where we tell God exactly what's going on in our hearts, where we say, Jesus... I need you. So if you're here and you're ready to begin your relationship with Jesus, you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Jesus, but you'd like to do that, just repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve wrath 
in hell forever. But Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you to save me. Lord, I want to give my life to you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed still, if you said those words, I'm just going to ask you to look up just real quick. Just look up, and, and we're going to put something on the screens. Chris is going to do that right now. If you wouldn't mind just doing me a favor and letting me know that you prayed that, one, so I can follow up with you, celebrate with you, answer any questions that you might have. If that's you, if you just wouldn't mind texting the word BEGIN to the number you see on the screen, just text BEGIN to that number. We're going to leave it up here for a few minutes. But all I got to do is text begin to that number. Let us know that today you began your relationship with Jesus. And I'm just telling you, we want to celebrate and worship with you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for what this day means. Lord, that we get to have this moment where we celebrate all that you've done. Lord, that you have done the greatest thing ever. Lord, you have defeated the grave. You are not dead, but you are alive. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I thank you and praise you for every person in here, wherever they fall on the spectrum of where they are with you. Jesus, I know one thing's for certain is they are, they are safely in your hands. Jesus, I pray that you continue to work in our hearts, Lord. Remind those of us that are believers the beauty of the cross and the resurrection and let a day and a moment not go by that we don't celebrate and worship you for the salvation that you provide. Or for those that are in here that, that need to step into a relationship with you, Lord, I, I know it's scary. I know it's difficult and there's probably a lot of questions, Lord, but give them the strength to walk in obedience to you. Lord, continue to draw them and lead them. And Lord, for those that are here that have no intention or need more time. Lord, I pray you continue to do what only you can do. You are the God of salvation. You are the one that saves. Lord, I pray that you will do that. You can break any heart of stone, Lord. And no matter what we've done, no matter how, how far away we think we are from you, Lord, I know this for sure, that there is no sin that is so great that gets beyond the cross, Lord. Your blood covers all and purifies all. We thank you and praise you for that, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor today. In your name we pray, amen.